What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So this morning we're talking about relationships and relationships, if you think about it, relationships are really what make life so meaningful. Think about it. Think about your life apart from any relationships. Think about um, how much meaning the relationships that you have add to your life. But here's the other part of that. Relationships also make life incredibly challenging, <laughs> right? Life would be so much easier if it just weren't for the people in your life, right? Uh, so it's this kind of interesting um, uh, dichotomy there in, in our relationships with people. You know, we've been studying the book of James. James uh, was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote to the church. He wrote this book, this letter, that was uh, really designed to give a lot of wisdom to some very practical things that we face all the time in our lives. And I don't think today is going to be any exception. James shares wisdom for us as to how we can get along better in our relationships. Now, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles today to James chapter 4 if you have them with you. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. I usually say everything will be on the screens and in your outline, but we missed the last part of the passage that we're covering today in your outline. Uh, we did put it on the screen this morning, so it will be up there, but the last three verses that we'll be looking at today are not in your outline. So if you have your Bible, that may, may help you follow along if you want to open up to James chapter 4 today. Now, if I ask you this morning, just to think for a minute, how many of you can think of a relationship in your life right now that is a bit challenging for you, or a relationship in your life that you just wish would be better? It's not as you would want it to be. If you can think about that, is there a relationship in your life that falls into one of those categories? Because friendships are really amazing when they're going well, but when they aren't, they can really weigh heavily on you. How about family? Have you ever said, can't we all just get along in our family? I had one of those moments yesterday. Uh, it was just one of those moments where it was like, okay, can we all just 
stop and get along just for a moment together today. So whether it's that in relationships that are at work, relationships uh, in your family, friendships that you have, relationships can be challenging. If you've ever felt like your relationships are not going exactly the way that you would like them to, James starts with this question, that, this question in chapter 4 that I think has a lot of grit for all of us today. He says this, in beginning, beginning in verse 1, he says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? What's causing all the relational tension, all, all the pain, all the fighting, the kind of the, the discord in your lives? I don't know if you've ever found yourself in the middle of an argument with someone and you just get to that point in the argument where you're like, why am I even arguing about this? Like, I don't really care that much about this thing and yet we're arguing and we're so intense in this moment. You know, you just know that there's something inside of you that's just, it's like, ah, and, and you don't really care. You realize, I don't really care about the argument. I'm just going to keep arguing though because maybe I want to win or maybe I just have this, this feeling inside of me. Annie and Andre, two of my kids, uh, are five. Andre's five, Annie's six. And the other day we were driving, and um, we have a lot of members of our family, so their seats are in the back of the van. So if it's just you and them, it's kind of this nice gap that gets created between you as the driver, and they're in the back. So they kind of have their own conversation going on back there most of the time. And so we made a turn, and we were you know, uh, on our way to somewhere, and I hear them beginning to argue about whether I should have just turned left or right at that last turn. Now, keep in mind, the two of them had no idea where we were going, how to get there. I'm not even confident either of them really know which way is left or which way is right. I, I really don't know. But they're going to town arguing back there about this, and the real convicting part that came in was hearing the tone of their argument and even some of the things that they were saying that mimicked some of the arguments that maybe older people in the home have. Uh, possibly my wife and I, or us and the kids, or the kids and the kids. And I'm thinking about how they're, they're just going to town. They're just hanging in this argument, just kind of for the sake of arguing. So there's this relational tension that James is addressing right out of the gate in chapter 4. And when we feel relational tension, we might want to say it's about an issue but realistically, when we feel tension inside of us, oftentimes it's directed towards a person. And isn't our first reaction in life to think, well, the other person's the problem, right? This is not my deal. Like, this is clearly them that's causing this, this tension between us. And this isn't a new thing at all. Remember we talked about this before, um, even earlier this spring, we talked about the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 through 3, and things were going wrong. And what's uh, Adam's first response? His first response is to blame Eve, right? And what's Eve's first response? Her first response is to blame the serpent. It's not my problem, right? It's their problem. This thing that's going on, it, it's not my issue. It, it's their issue. Remember the question this morning that James addresses. He says, what is the root cause of our fights and quarrels? So James goes on in the second half of verse 1, and he says this, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Ouch. James. Here he comes again. He's hard-hitting. He's right at us with this. He says, you know what causes the fights and quarrels among you? It's you. It's the evil desires at play within you that cause fights and quarrels. Have you ever felt that war within you? You know, growing up, if you watched cartoons, they always had this battle depicted as an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other shoulder, right? The war within, the devil on the one shoulder and the angel on the other. Let's watch one of those. 
Maybe that's not the way it works within you, but the war within us. Some of you, uh, this might be a better illustration or an easier one for you to understand. Some of you recognize the war within when you're behind the wheel of a car. All right, so let's just play this out this morning. Um, We'll do a little survey. If you have a friend, okay, if you have a friend who occasionally tails slow drivers, would you raise your hand? All right, if you have a friend who is the person who intentionally drives slow, to annoy the tailgating driver behind them and let them know that there is a speed limit and you're minding it. If you have a friend who does that, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, All right, so if you know someone who won't let people pass everyone else and then merge in at the last second after they've passed the clearly forming line, if you know someone who won't let someone do that, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, if you are the person who passes everybody else while they're forming that line, just to merge in at the last second or push your way in. Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. See, those of you can go ahead and stand up. We have some officers waiting in the back. No, seriously, some of the, you, this has caused fights and quarrels in your family. Your driving habits, maybe, have caused uh, some fights and quarrels within your family. It's the war within. Let's admit something. The cause of our issues isn't simply other people, but it's what's going on inside of us. The cause of our issues relationally in life is not just what happens with other people. James says, it's what's going on inside of you. The reason we keep having problems with people isn't because they have problems, it's because we have problems too. And that's not easy for us to hear. Most of us don't immediately say, hey, it's probably my fault. As a matter of fact, it's much more difficult to see what's going on and understand what's happening inside of you than it is to look at another person and say, well, I can see their fault or I can see where they're going wrong in all of this. And the reality is we do the same thing in our friendships, in our families. We do it with our peers at work as well. There's this war within us and our relationships are often the casualties in that war. So what causes the war within? This is what James says. James says it comes from our evil desires that battle inside of us. And then he goes on to say this in verse two. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So James is implying that we may believe something that is driving our lives without us knowing it. It's a message that we hear and it's part of our human condition. And I think we could sum it up this way. We have a belief problem. And our belief problem is this. We believe that we have to take care of ourselves. 
we believe that we have to take care of ourselves. And our culture tells us every day, you have to take care of you, right? Here's the tricky part of this belief. It's not totally false. It's not. You do need to take care of yourself. But hear this this morning. When we make satisfying ourselves the center of our life, we perpetuate that war within. When we make satisfying our own needs the centerpiece or the heart of our existence, the war within just rages on. And James says, we want what we want and we think we need to get it on our own. We think this, we think nobody wants to make me happy. Nobody wants to make me feel good more than me. So I better make that my first priority to make sure I get what I feel I need. Let me ask you this this morning. Who here would not like, who here would like to make more money? <laughs> who here would like to make, generally speaking, you'd like to make more money? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand for this next question, okay? How many times have you overworked and overworried about getting more money without really talking it through with God? How many times have you planned and thought through and schemed and worked towards getting more money without saying, Lord, you see this need that I have. Let me talk it through with you. How often have you not paid something that you owed to someone or fudged on your taxes or not given generously through tithing or, or to someone in need in order to keep more money for yourselves? We want something. And when we want it, the war within is the temptation to violate our principles or, or our relationships to get it because we believe that nobody cares about me more than me. So I better make my needs my top priority. Here's a different way of seeing it. We want more respect, so we attempt to intimidate people into giving us that respect, even if it costs them their dignity, because we believe that we need to take care of ourselves. Or maybe we make comments about someone that we shouldn't because we envy what they have, and we want it for ourselves. And we ask the question, why isn't God doing that for me? No one cares more about my happiness than me, so I better pursue my happiness at the end of verse 2, James says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Have you ever asked yourself this question? I just want you to think about this this morning. Why don't I ask God for what I think I need? Think about that. Why don't I ask God for what I believe I need? You know, there's a lot of stuff that we just try to figure out ourselves without ever asking God. And that's what James is saying here. Why don't we ask Maybe we don't believe something about God. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. So James says that we have a belief problem, but then he says we might have another problem as well. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So James says we have another problem. It's the motive problem. We ask God to give us what we need so that we won't need God. All right? Hang in there with me on this one. We ask God for something to make us happy instead of asking God to bless us or to grant us his happiness. I want you to hear this this morning. We're asking God to give us something that we need so we don't need to be dependent on him. God, give us this thing because then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be okay. Then I'll be all right on my own. 
God, give me that promotion so that I can feel more important, so that I can feel financially secure, even if it means me depending on you less. You know, it sounds a lot like the story of the prodigal son, a son that wants his father's money more than he wants a relationship with his dad. Or this, God, help me find a good boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse so that I can spend time with and fill that hole in my heart, even if it means I spend less time with you, God. Even if it means that I don't turn to you to meet the needs of my heart. And I love this line in James at the end of verse three. He says, you want only what will give you, what's it say? Pleasure. Pleasure. You want only what will give you pleasure. And this is really important. And the more time I spent in this passage this week, the more I thought about this, it occurred to me that I believe this is a hinge point in this whole passage of scripture for James. I think what James is boiling down this war within within us is this. He says, we all want to be happy. I don't know anyone this morning, if I ask you, do you want to be happy? Anyone who would say, I don't want to be happy. (laughs) James even talks about earlier on in the book of James, we talked about this over the last month. He talks about how God can bless us, which being translated in in the book of James, in the Greek is actually saying, God granted happiness. God's blessing is God granted happiness. We looked at that a couple weeks ago and we talked about how Jesus came to give us abundant life. But here's what happens when we combine our belief problem with our motive problem, all right? So James points out these two problems. Here's what happens when we combine our belief problem with our motive problem. In our pursuit of happiness, we mistake pleasure for happiness. Or we mistake pleasure sometimes for blessing. And anytime that we mistake pleasure for happiness, it's going to go badly. Because if we pursue pleasure, it's always short-sighted in our lives. And it's always short-lived. When we pursue pleasure, it's always short-sighted and it's always short-lived. And pursuing pleasure is always selfish. You need to hear this this morning. Chasing pleasure is like chasing the shadow of God's goodness. When we chase pleasure, it's like chasing the shadow of God's goodness. We take what was meant for good and we pursue it for our own pleasure instead of seeking God and his blessing. So instead of saying, God, you provide what's good for me, we pursue it on our own to feel good and we miss God's blessing. And the problem is when we run after pleasure, it always leads us away from God because we become addicted to the pleasure when we get it. And then we want to continue to pursue what is short-lived but feels good for us in the moment, even when it lacks the full measure of God's intended goodness for us in our lives. So why do we do it? We do it because we want to feel good rather than be good. James returning to the same theme. We want to feel good rather than be good or be godly. And we live in a culture that makes this mistake all the time. We chase what feels good, not what is good. And this is the essence, this is the heart of what James is writing about in this passage. Chasing good feelings leads to a painful life. Chasing good feelings or chasing pleasure leads to a painful life. And this is counterintuitive for us because if it feels good, why wouldn't it be good? And we all do this. But there are real dangers in chasing good feelings because they're short-lived and they leave us empty And they draw us away from God. And they continue to call us back for the momentary pleasure 
but we miss out on the richness of God's goodness. Think about it. When we chase after success, success feels good, but overworking is hard on our soul. And overworking is hard on our relationships, isn't it? If you're chasing after entertainment, you're actually seeking the pleasure of fun, but oftentimes you find yourself prioritizing that over the things that really are meaningful in life because you're just seeking entertainment. If we chase after sex, pornography, whatever sex outside the lifelong covenant of marriage, we mistake adrenaline or lust for intimacy. And that's God's good gift to us, real intimacy. If we chase after financial prosperity, we're depending on our money or our finances to bring us meaning. And how many times does money wreck a marriage or a family or the pursuit of it? If we chase after image management and we're pursuing trying to be more valuable based on who people think we are instead of who God tells us we are. So we're chasing something short-lived and missing out on the good gift that God intended it to be in our lives. And James says our pursuit of pleasure, our pursuit of feeling good is the opposite direction of God's goodness. It's the opposite direction of God's blessing. In fact, James gives us some perspective on how God sees it when we pursue pleasure instead of pursuing him. So let's look at verse four. He says this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What, why do you think the scriptures mean? What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And here's James. Again, we've talked about this almost every week, but James just brings it. It's a challenging message, but this is what, these are the words he's using adulterers, enemies of God. You're independent and you're proud. These strong words that James is using carry with them the reality of what we're missing out on with God. When we expect that what God, when we expect what God has created to satisfy our soul instead of our relationship with God to satisfy our souls, then we become adulterers in our relationship with God. In other words, when we chase our pleasures, when we chase our self-centered thinking, we end up harming others because we pervert what God meant to be used for good. And we align ourselves with what's wrong in the world. And the Bible says, James says, we actually become an enemy of God when we're pursuing our own fulfillment, when we're just pursuing our own pleasures. Because that's not the way God designed us to live. That's not his mission that's not what brings fulfillment in our lives. But we believe the lie. If that sounds pretty harsh, I think it's because James wants us to understand the spiritual nature of this war that's going on within us. Where we have to resist the temptation of the devil because the devil wants us to believe that feeling good is better than being good. The devil wants us to believe that feeling good is better than being good. God knows our happiness is the result of his goodness in our lives. God knows our happiness comes from him doing a work of transformation in us that makes us more like Christ, that enables us to be more loving, that enables us to not focus completely on meeting our own desires. He knows that's where true happiness and joy come from in life. 
not the short-lived feeling of pleasure that leaves us empty and wanting more. That's a self-centered life, and it's not a God-centered life. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. Think about the Ten Commandments, okay? Does anybody remember any of these? You know, like the one that says, stay to the right when you're not passing. (laughs) That's in there, right? No, what are some of the Ten Commandments? Name a couple of them. Anybody? Shall not kill. Don't lie. Steal. Honor your father and mother. Don't covet. Know the God before you. Put him first, right? He's got to be first. Keep the Sabbath. Take God's name in vain. Good. Listen, here's the point. When you start to think about some of these, I want you to think about it this way. What happens when we violate one of the Ten Commandments? What happens when we pursue the opposite of one of God's commands for us? What happens in our lives? It not only causes harm to us, but it causes harm to others as well. Take any one of those commands and think about the opposite of it. And when you pursue the opposite of it, not only does it destroy you, but it destroys other people and causes harm to them as well. It moves us further and further from God's blessing. So I want you to hear this and connect these two pieces this morning. So being good is way better for us than just feeling good because when we seek being good, God protects our greatest joys and he keeps us from bringing harm to ourselves and harm to others. When we seek to be obedient to God, he protects our greatest joys and we keep from harming others. But when we pursue pleasure, when we pursue short-lived pleasure and meeting our own desire, then others are in danger and we're in danger as well. And God knows that's not what's best. That's not the life he planned for us. God's saying, I I planned a life for you that protects your greatest joys. It, It keeps you from bringing harm to yourself and others. It allows us to bring God's goodness into the world. Pursuing good feelings doesn't lead to a good life, but pursuing good or pursuing God does. It leads to a rich and full and meaningful life. And this is what James is saying. He's not just cracking the whip or coming down hard on you because he wants to be hard on you. He's coming down hard on you because he's saying to the church, don't miss it. Don't miss it. God's got an incredible life plan for you, but if you just pursue what you desire, if you just make your desires first, you're going to miss it. Don't miss it. Listen, as as a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and your heart is aligned with the heart of God and you say, I want to follow Christ, that's my desire. You really need to grasp this today. And you may want to write this down. Only God is enough to satisfy you. Only God is enough to satisfy you. Look, until you learn that, the war within you is going to wage on Until your relationship with God becomes the most important thing in your life, you're going to continue to mistake pleasure for happiness. And you're going to continue to take care of yourself first instead of asking God to take care of you. Why don't we go to God in prayer with those things? Maybe it's because we don't believe that God will take care of us. We don't believe what we sang earlier. You are good. You're good. We don't believe that God has our best interests in mind, that he has a life that will satisfy us fully.
God invites us into this close relationship with him. And that's what keeps us from being at war within ourselves, a relationship with him. But first we have to stop chasing the shadows of his goodness and we have to chase him and his goodness. Why does James recommend this kind of response to God? What does he say to us as we walk through this? He says this, he says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. James says, confess, repent, be vulnerable with God and God will be vulnerable with you. He'll draw close to you. You know, there've been times that I've been in my life where I've felt really, really close to God. And I wish I could tell you, I felt that way every day. Sometimes I feel that way for long seasons and sometimes I feel distant from God. But the times in my life when I feel close to God all have one thing in common and that's the time when I'm dependent on him. Whenever I feel close to God, it's because I'm drawing close to him and dependent on him, not on myself, not on pursuing my own pleasure, not on pursuing what I think I need, but I draw close to God and God draws close to me. I was reading about this in Jeremiah 29. We all know verse 11 in Jeremiah 29. It's a promise in there. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. But we don't often read 12 and 13 that follow. And I was reading them this week. And in 12 and 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And then the Lord says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back from the place of captivity and I'll draw you close to me again. And he was speaking to the children of Israel, but I want you to think about this. God's saying, I'll bring you back from being in captivity to pursuing all of the pleasures that you think are gonna satisfy your soul. You're in bondage to pursuing pleasure, but I'll bring you back when you seek me and you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you and I'll bring you back in a close relationship with me when you're dependent on me, when you're not just living your life on your own, separate from me, but when you learn to depend on me for everything, I'll be found by you in those places when I felt least happy and least satisfied with my life is when I'm chasing pleasures instead of chasing God. This week, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to get together with some of her high school friends. They were all in town. And so we got together and it's a good group of friends. And as people were catching up, uh, the one guy was there with a couple of his kids and most of the people didn't know in the room that since the last time we'd gotten together that that guy's wife had left him. And I don't know all the reasons behind it, but I know when it kind of came around and somebody said, Jason, how are you doing? And he said, well, to be honest, it's been a pretty tough year. And he went on to share what happened um, without a lot of detail. He just said that his wife had left. And after everybody was like, man, you know, that's tough. They had listened to him. He said, hey, he said, let me tell you this. He said, this sounds a little weird. He said, but don't feel badly for me right now because my relationship with God right now is stronger than it's ever been. And I feel 
closer to God than I've ever felt in my entire life. He said, I'm so dependent on God right now. It's some of the greatest joy that I've ever experienced through this really hard time. And as he went on to describe that, in my heart, I said, Lord, draw me close to you that way. Bring me back in, into that kind of dependence on you, where I rely on you for every breath, where I rely on you for every provision. When I rely on you for everything that's happening in my life, I can hold it open-handedly and say, God, I trust you. You're good. You're good. Imagine this morning what your relationships would look like if you were totally satisfied and fulfilled in your relationship with God. If you didn't need anything from anyone else because you knew God would provide for you. Imagine if you felt God's presence and his love in your life every day. Imagine how much better your relationships would be if you could just enjoy being with people. Imagine this. Imagine if God's love and goodness overflowed out of your life into the life of others in a beautiful way. Wouldn't that reduce the tension, the war within? Wouldn't that do your family and friends and coworkers a world of good as you draw close to God? What are you chasing that isn't leading you towards God? Would you bow your heads with me? Until God is enough, nothing else will be. Until God is enough, nothing else will be. You know, this morning might be an opportunity for you to confess that whatever you've been chasing is really a waste of your time and your life. And this morning, as it says in these last few verses, will you let your heart feel the sadness of the pain that that pursuit has caused in your life? I just want you to think for a moment about all the hurt that you've caused to yourself and that you've caused to others that comes from your pursuit of feeling good. Let that sink in for just a minute. And then maybe you wanna pray this prayer. God, I confess that I believed I had to take care of myself. I confess that I've been pursuing feeling good. Will you forgive me for that, Lord? And maybe this morning that will lead you to a place where you want to declare kind of a new belief and a new motive. This morning you realize just how independent you've chosen to live from God. Even if you're a Christian this morning, you might find yourself feeling distant or disappointed in your relationship with God. And you wish that you were closer to him, that you could draw close this morning. And this morning you need to profess your dependence on God alone. You need to say, God... I need you, and you alone are enough for me. Why don't you pray that prayer this morning? God, I need you. You alone are enough for me. Maybe you've never trusted God at all, and you've never felt, you've always felt like you had to take care of yourself your whole life, but you know that you've been missing out because life has lacked purpose and depth and meaning for you, and relationships aren't what you hoped they'd be. And you want to know that you're loved and that someone has your back. And God wants you to know that this morning too. 
that you can start a new relationship with him, a perfect love relationship with him. And you might wanna pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying, for, for giving my sins so that I could be restored into a right relationship with God. I'm asking you this morning, Lord, not only to forgive me, but to lead my life. Jesus, I believe that you are enough for me. Father God, this morning, we want to come close to you today. And you promise that when, when we do that, that you're going to draw close to us. That when we seek you, that we're going to find you. We're tired of fighting. We're tired of the tension. We're tired of the war within. We just want to be close to you, Lord. Thank you for loving us so perfectly. We know that unless you're enough, nothing else ever will be. Amen. We're going to take communion this morning. And communion this morning is just an opportunity for each of us to draw close to God. It's an opportunity for you to come to the table this morning, to take the bread and to take the cup to take them back to your seats and in a few moments we'll, we'll all take them together. But as you come and you take communion this morning, I want you to almost receive it this morning in such a way that you declare to God, God, you are enough for me. What you've done is enough for me. Who you are is enough for me. What you have for me is enough for me. Over this course of this next song, as you worship, let's draw into God's presence, draw close together, take the cup and the bread back to your seat and then we'll take it together in just a few moments.
Communion is our way to celebrate our ability to draw close to God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And whenever you eat it, remember me. As you eat it this morning, I want you to say, Jesus, you're enough. You're enough. Let's eat together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant. Covenant, it represents the remission of your sins. And as we drink it this morning, I want you to say, Jesus, what you've done is enough. You're enough for me. You satisfy me. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken so that we could be made whole that your blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. And God, all of that through your death and resurrection leads to the opportunity for us to live a full and abundant life. That's why you came. So God, this morning as we celebrate our ability to say, we don't need to pursue our own pleasure. We can pursue you, God, and your goodness in our lives. We do that this morning, Lord, with a, a full heart and a grateful heart. Thank you, God, that you've provided such a clear way for us. Thank you, God, that you love us so fully. Thank you, God, for always being more than enough. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a minute to respond to God today. You can do that through your response cards. If you have any prayer requests, please write them down. We'd love to pray for you and with you this week. And also this morning, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you can head right back to the prayer room in the back. One of the prayer partners there will just listen to you and then they'll pray for you. And it's, uh, uh, they're really nice people back there. So feel free to go back and let someone in your church family minister to you. Don't be afraid of that if that's something that you feel like you, you really could allow someone to minister to you this morning through prayer. Go ahead, just go back and let somebody pray for you anytime between now and the end of the service. But let's take a moment and respond to God. Respond to God this morning. As James reminded us earlier in the book of James, if we look at ourselves in the mirror, if we see the need that's reflected in our life and we don't do anything about it, then what good is it to us? So if God spoke to you this morning, go ahead and take a moment and respond to him. You can write down your prayer request or maybe your next step that you feel God is leading you to take. And then we'll close up with a song of worship together.